Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. Fact check this podcast, and today I expect that I am coming through with a monumental echo because the the internet at our new place is not currently functional. Don't know why that is. So I'm at the old place. Uh, dual purposes, both because I have stuff that I need to pick up for here and also because I was going to be doing the stream today and uh, internet is kind of a necessity for for doing a stream. Uh, So I am going to be joined by Stephanie Edmonds here shortly but while we wait for her let's kind of do a little recap of what's been going on in the news over the past Oh, 48 hours or so since uh, since my Monday original stream plan fell through. And then I've been experiencing some massive technical difficulties with uh, my computer. Uh, and then today I'm running off of my, my laptop, which is less than ideal. Oh, Stephanie's here. So we will fire it up. The fact check this podcast. I apologize for any echo. I am in my old house, which is incredibly vacant. There's uh, nothing in here to to really uh, catch any of the echoes. So <laughs> it is what it is. Huh? Okay. Internet, internet at my new house went out today, so I'm uh, improving. <laughs> All right, that's you know my one house to another house. No big deal. <laughs> So introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit on and then 
we'll kind of jump into stuff that that I had mentioned I was wanting to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm Stephanie Edmonds. I am a kind of maybe former, might still be a New York City teacher. I'm not exactly sure what my status is at this moment. I'm pretty sure I'm still a New York City teacher on unpaid leave and I am going to be terminated any day now. <clears throat> though I keep saying that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I live out here just outside of New York City, actually in Connecticut, but right outside the city. And I was teaching for the last six years. Um, I've always been very liberty minded, right? On social media, that's how you can find me at Teaching Liberty or Twitter, Teach Liberty One. And so kind of like this COVID stuff rolled around. <clears throat> the schools didn't open back up. And that really kind of sparked me. I was like, this isn't right. So I started kind of getting out there and protesting and working with parents. And then that morphed into this whole fight with the mandates. And uh, that's kind of where I am currently. I'm um, a teacher on unpaid leave, fighting the system, fighting the good fight, and also advocating for my own son who's uh, in kindergarten this year. So is, is there any indication that any of that might be changing? Like <clears throat> as COVID seem, seems to be winding down as they're starting to uh, loosen stuff with masks, especially nationwide. Um, like I'm, I'm in Indiana where it's a pretty red state and all, all school and public transportation mandates have been dropped for masks. So our kids Two weeks ago, masks were optional in school. And then effective this week, masks are no longer required on the buses. Uh, so everything seems to be trending back in the direction of normalcy around here. Does right. it look like there's and any so hope of that? that in, uh... Uh, yeah, it does. We're, we almost seem to be on the same trend, which is interesting because you're in Indiana. You're saying it's a red state. Now, is this like statewide? Is this just where you live? Because, you know, I think of red states as like, being more normal like i didn't realize there was like still red states i thought this was kind of like a blue state thing so that's an interesting that i would definitely love to get more into but i would say yeah it, it does seem like things are kind of snapping back all of a sudden um my son yesterday got to go to school for his first day without a mask so that was a big deal and, and he woke up today and he's like so i can go again today without a mask i was like yes like Yes, the masks are over, hopefully forever. Um, and there was the mask mandate in my town was dropped. Connecticut, it, it was town by town for a while. And where I live, we had one. But I didn't really wear a mask anywhere. Um, it was mostly the schools. And then in New York City, of course, they had the key to NYC, which was a vaccine passport system for anybody who was five or older. They had to have two doses to access essentially any public accommodations, right? So whether it was the movies or um, a museum or a show or their their sports team, right? Kids had to quit their sports for this stuff. And um, that's, I think it's being dropped on the 7th or effective Monday. So, you know, they're dropping those, but there's no word about the, employer mandate in new york city i believe there's still a private employer mandate and a public city worker employer mandate so there's been no word of those getting dropped 
Um, and so all New York City workers, whether you're private or public, are supposed to have two doses. Um, and the city agencies have been very reluctant to accept um, medical or religious exemptions for some other workplaces. It, it, I think it varies from work to place to work to place. The bigger ones seem more reluctant to take them. Whereas if you're at like a medium or a smaller size company, it seems easier to get those exemptions. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it was disheartening how long it went here, especially considering that Indiana is a very red state. Um, and I think it, I think it may have been a uh, county by county basis okay. on a lot of that. Are you in like a blue our, or our like area? I am not, which is what's surprising about it. Um, I, I got, I got pissed off with the last email that they had sent out that said that they were going to continue to have the mask mandate for our schools here in the county because they had been seeing such. Uh, such great success. It's like, or maybe it's Where? because our county just doesn't have a lot of, <laughs> right? right? Like maybe it's because the county as a whole doesn't have a whole lot of cases. Like maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the mask thing. Uh, so yeah. I, I actually sent an email to, to the, when they sent out the last one saying, we're going to extend the mask mandate for another month. Uh, I sent an email back and said, <laughs> I just said, why don't you just send the next email and say, this is going to continue indefinitely until we rise up and overthrow you. And a week later, they dropped all mandates. Okay. I don't so know if I had anything to do with that. that. Go ahead. But, take that credit. Take that credit. <laughs> but then, then the following week, the state dropped all of it as well. So, so it's. Yeah. Uh, well, we're, the word, um, there was who knows, like. I, some... I don't know. There, there was like a, what do they call those things? A think tank or one of those research policy centers. And one of their, their papers got leaked that it was essentially like, these are the talking points. Like COVID is over. Like, you know, it's been going on for so long. We're ready to move on. And then boom, the next day, everybody was like, oh, yep. We're looking at the metrics and the numbers and, and they look good. And you're like, wait, can you tell us like what, what the actual metrics and numbers are? Well, we look at a various number of indicators and, you know, we want to see them heading in this direction and, and, but they will never tell you, they might give you like four or five things they're looking at, but they won't tell you what number they want to see. They'll, oh, we just want to see it heading in the right direction. And, you know, there was a point last year in June when it was like 0.4 cases per 100,000. And right now we're at like 16 per 100,000. And, well, we just want to see it moving in the right direction. So, like, okay, so what number? Well, <laughs> and it's like, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, and now they basically set the precedent that they can bring these back whenever they want because there is no number there is no offer on ramps it's just however they feel that's the thing that really concerns me about so i do i do a morning show and and then i also do a uh, a show with johnny profita called peddling fiction so I'm, i do way too much and we talk about varying topics on all the different ones but one of the things that we had talked about on uh, yeah, mine have actually been on this show. I I lose track. Anyway, we talked about how, like in New Zealand, that the High Court in New Zealand had found that all of these actions that their Prime Minister had taken were uh, were illegal, and 
the prime minister is not going to have any re, uh, repercussions for doing any of that for two straight years. There's not going to be any any pushback. In, in fact, knowing how that part of the country is, it was actually on Monday night with Alan Mosley on my show when we were talking about this. But anyway, uh, like the prime minister is not going to get any pushback on that. In fact, she'll probably get reelected next time around. That would and be, but, but, the but really crazy thing is, the yeah, their high court. Exactly. But their high court says that they that she did all this stuff illegally. But the next time something rolls around where she can say emergency, that it's a, you know, she needs to use emergency, take emergency action. She's going to do it again. Just because the high court said that it was illegal doesn't mean that it's going to stop anything or change anything the next time around. Like the, the, that threshold has been crossed and we never go back. And that's, like, you don't think so? I was going to say, I was, I was going to ask you, like, okay, so that's the case, right? We basically have these these courts and clown courts, I guess, basically, because it's like they can say something, but it's after the fact, and it's not going to do anything to prevent it happening again in the future. So what do we do? Like, is there any way to prevent it, or is this just how it is, and we have to accept it? Like, I, I don't know. That's a pretty big black pill. I'm not ready to accept that. You know, like I, I think that there ought to be something well, that see, we can do. I don't think anything we can do at a national level. I'm not entirely sure there's anything we can do at a state level, but we can do like what I had threatened in my email, overrun the school board, overrun our county offices, uh, get. And when you say overrun, you mean with people who are people into the seats. If, if able. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I'm yes, just trying that to clarify be... <laughs> what process we're talking about overrunning, you know, like. That would be preferable, but I'm not opposed to just overrunning it, generally speaking. Like a coup, uh, like a coup. I know enough people who are, yeah, like a full-on hostile okay. takeover is also except that's necessary. Uh, okay. I don't See, think, this is, like, especially, this is my like, question. especially like where I live, I don't think that would be necessary. Okay. So, what makes a hostile takeover but he, different from like tyranny? You know, like what makes it, you know, what's that line when we can say we're going the the democratic process isn't working? The this is the will of the people, yet we're going to have to take the seeming most tyrannical action in order to enact the will of the people. I guess that's kind of the conundrum that the French revolution got into and got themselves all caught up in. See, I think you can't think too hard about it. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I'm thinking too hard about it. <laughs> uh, here at this house, we are a few miles down the road from the university of Southern Indiana. Uh, and okay. USI is a, D2 school currently, and they had a uh, they had a vote amongst the or a, a, not it's not a democratic process per se, but they had a survey for the faculty, staff, and student body of USI saying, "Hey, we have the opportunity to D1. Would y'all be interested in?" moving from a Division two school to a D1 school. And overwhelmingly, the student body, faculty, and staff said no. 
we don't want to do that. Keep it the way it is. And the school said, cool, we're going to be a D1 school now. <laughs> At that point, if you have, you have elected into position and those people know why, why they were elected and they choose to actively not do what they had said they were going to do, then I stopped considering them to be exercising the perpetually elected. At that point, they have uh, they have thrown out the trust of their electorate body, and they removed. That's okay. where I kind of draw lines. Like, uh, am I right or wrong on that? I don't know. Like a lot of libertarians no. might not think that that's the right approach, but at some point you have to hold people accountable. And if they're not being held accountable or living up to what they were elected this time to remove them. And if it's, if you're, you know, right now we're still two years away from the next gubernatorial election here in Indiana. If the governor needs to be removed early, then he needs to be removed early. Mm. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I do think the in the sense I and I wrote a tweet to this effect the other day saying, like, I'm tired of the previous generations telling me that we have to constantly give up our rights in exchange for basically this veneer of security and wealth. And and I'm tired of being called a radical because I don't want to accept like these infringements upon my liberties. But in order to do that, like you have to put your foot down and say, no, you have to put your foot down and say, and stand up. You have to be willing to give something up. Right. And so many, and, and I just feel like, you know, the boomers in particular have really bought into this idea of like, well, we have wealth and security and I'm good and I have my pension and like, you know, I just have certain things I have to do and this is the way it is and, you know, pushing those papers. Um, I'm tired of that. I think that it, it, we've gone too far. We're just willing to give up too much of our basic fundamental freedoms in exchange. It is a veneer. It's not even real. They control everything from what you put in your mouth to, you know, the air that you breathe outside. It's too much. And and so I do think that there is a point when you have to to stand up and take it back for sure. Um, it's just, I guess, like at the point when you start doing these things like, OK, well, you don't want to set a precedent that anytime you don't like somebody, something that somebody does, you're just going to like go and kick them out of office. You know what I mean? Like it has to be substantial. I've read the declaration. I've been reading the declaration of independence a lot um, to try to figure out exactly what that line is. They do, they, they, but it's, you can only get so specific. Yeah. I, uh, I have read the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, uh, a number of times, and it's <clears throat> it is hard to pinpoint what that point would be. I think uh, so. Some consideration should have been going into that a little more. A little more third prior to COVID, anyway, and if the if the actions of our both federal and state governments over the past two years haven't kind of pushed people in the direction of saying, "Hey, uh, those founding guys, they were kind of onto something, and they were seeing a lot of shit that we are seeing now," 
only we're seeing it even worse. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to wake people up to that at this point, but yeah, like it's, oh, for sure. I believe I we're there. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I think we're there. I guess I'm willing to at least try to, you know, use the democratic process a little bit longer. Right. Like I tr like really take a serious effort to like run our people. I don't think that there's been that in our generation where regular people have really been woken up to the extent that they are and being like, you know what, I'm going to throw my hat in and I'm going to run. And so I, I guess like I'm trying to be really optimistic about this election coming around. Like you guys don't have a gubernatorial race, but out here in Connecticut, we do. Um, you know, I had opportunity two nights ago to meet with one of the top contenders of the Republican Party for governor. And so for me, you know, that just makes me like, all right, like, boom, we have a meeting with the guy who could be the next governor. Like, we're going to work our ground game. We had 30 people in a room like, all right. And we know 30 more people wanted to be there, but we had limited space. So it just gives me a lot of hope that this time around we can maybe take some of these seats back and correct some of these really short term things that have gone in, especially in terms of election integrity. There's a lot of that stuff that makes me worried. But, you know, I don't want to be call them whatever you know um for that but you know like these things are real like it's happening even at the local level you know we are our when i went to bed our one candidate was ahead and then overnight boom the other one pulled ahead because of those mail-in ballots you know and like maybe like they really w are winning the mail-in ballot game but it's like i don't know how much of that game we should be even playing in the first place you know so those are, but I, I think I, oh, like I said, think about this time around um, for, you know, we saw here in Greenwich, which is the town over um, Greenwich, Connecticut. Everybody knows Greenwich, Connecticut. I feel like, you know, it's like that suburb outside of New York City. Um, but they took back like their whole school board. They flipped a bunch of seats in a bunch of local elections. They elected um, Kim Fiorello. They elected um, um, uh, Nick Fazio, like these, these young um, Republicans who are not squishy. Um, and it's because they were empowered to get out there and, and actually vote people in, in a way that, you know, we really haven't seen, like, I guess you can say like for Obama, you know, or like to vote out Trump people like, I saw a lot of people come out, but I don't think that those big national elections matter as much as the local ones. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. The, the local elections is, the thing that's going to be how you how you make a change in your own life, like flipping your school board, flipping your city council, uh, you know, what what have you finding finding those uh, squishy candidates or the ones that are just terrible on everything and then find somebody to run against them and then have a good ground game. Get out and find people that because a lot of times in these like local elections, a lot of people don't even realize that these elections are happening or who's running or like what's going on. So just getting out and having a good ground game and really uh, being active in the community and being like, Hey, look, this is what this person has been voting for. It's terrible. This is what this person thinks. It's really good. We should get rid of the terrible person. We need you to come vote. And right. like, does it take more work? Sure. But that's where you're actually going to have impact and, and make right. change in your, in your life is by changing it right there in the County, in the city, in, you know, in your township, right. whatever. 
And I think we need to readjust like our expectations of what life is supposed to be. What does the American dream mean? Does it really mean that you work nine to five, you come home and like you have dinner with the family and then sit on the couch and drink a bunch of beers and watch Netflix? Like, is that really the American dream, you know? Um, or is it actually being, you know, that, that rugged, a little bit more of that rugged individualist, right? And and I think that people see that as very um, opposite of, of community, but I actually see them as integral pieces, right? Like you can't be a super strong, rugged individualist unless you come from a really strong community and a strong network, right? And you can't have a really strong community unless you have a bunch of people who are willing to get out there and actually invest in that community and be leaders of that community. So I really see them as like that, that necessary tension versus like this like collectivist versus individualist that they get broken up to like capitalism versus socialism. And like, I see that, that tension to me is the American dream. So like for us, we're, uh, we're moving much more rural, even we're fairly rural if this happens, but we're moving I mean, even you're in more Indiana. rural. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not like, uh, and I'm not around Indy or anything like that. Like, so we're getting out in the country. And we're going to have a massive garden. We've got goats. We've got chickens. We'll uh, probably expand and pick up a couple of hogs and start breeding hogs. Like, I'm trying to be self-sufficient and get off the grid. I am most definitely that rugged individualist type. Uh, I like to hunt and all that kind of stuff. Like, We're trying to uh, disconnect. But at the same time, our... Mm community and the county that we're moving to is also generally speaking very very rural and a lot of those rugged individualist types and it's a place that by getting active in county politics you can kind of shape shape things on a level that you never see a repeat of 2020 because mm. you have the right people especially in small rural counties like that like yeah uh, I've been saying it for a while, but like people should be getting out of cities. Uh, I don't, I know for some people like that's their preference is city life. Yeah. Uh, maybe. And maybe it's because I was raised on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, like where our, our nearest neighbor was my grandmother, whose house was a half a mile away across all the fields. Like Maybe it's because I was raised like that, that I just have no interest in city life, but I don't know how people can look at the last two years and think that, living in a you know an urban jungle is preferable especially when you've seen the way that they have treated individuals like they have reduced your humanity in these big cities that's a crime to me like that that should be punishable no i agree the and i mean part of it just comes the fact that you're living on top of each other like that right um but part of it comes to the fact that those governments there have way more power and authority and like when you're in a city even even where i live right um it's it's like a suburb you know but stanford is like a small city where i live um it's like the next mate you can take an express train from here to new york city so it's like the next major stop um but we're much much smaller like you know 150,000 people or something and then you know there's a bunch of little towns around us and even from Stanford to those towns like 
we have way more like regulations and way more different things that the city gets its hands in versus these little you know towns outside of us that have you know six thousand people ten thousand people fifty thousand people much smaller um so i can see it here yeah i mean and then sometimes i do like i would love to go live out in the middle of nowhere sometimes but then i'm like oh, i don't know if i can be that far away from everything you know like i'm always shocked even when i go out to like i went to memphis like i have a cousin that lives out in memphis and it's like you know i'm like okay i'm going to a city i was thinking but you can't you can't walk anywhere like you have to take a car everywhere you know versus like even where i live you could kind of walk some places like in my town you know but it's just different so but i definitely don't want to live in the city like when i was younger i lived in the city for a little bit but i i never envisioned myself like living in the city with a family or anything like that no way it's, it's funny you talk about like the smaller the smaller towns having like six or ten thousand people the yeah the town that i grew up in the town i grew up in had about, about 2200. <laughs> like i am i'm am very small town uh yeah it's it's different it's just so different like when you get off the coast and go like um inland like it's just way different the how things are spaced out and you know what big or small means you know because like new york city it has less people now because they fled during the pandemic because it's not a desirable place to live um but you know it had eight million people and so if you compare like 150,000 to 8 million it's like nothing you know, but then of course, when you compare that to 2200, that's like really nothing. Yeah. So you can, you, you know, so and I guess, of, have, yeah, go ahead. Uh, oh, no, I was going to kind of pivot to the, uh, the educational side of stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay. So because I did grow up very rurally, I had a much different experience with school than a lot of people that I talked to online. Um, our football coach was the was the English teacher, and like I also yeah. early two late nineties, early two thousands, uh, the state of Kentucky was still in the process of switching over to this uh, what is now known as Kara system. It was Curious at one time. They've had all these different cats. They've had all these different names yeah. for it. But it's the standardized system that Kentucky is using now. Uh, educationally. And a lot of it is very similar to a lot of the standardized systems that the uh, Department of Education has rolled out kind of nationwide for a large for a large part. Um, I guess when I was in school, we were kind of on the tail end or on the tail end of normalcy. It was it's at the front end of that stuff really starting right. to get implemented. Yeah, so nobody cared. And none of our teachers cared. They didn't they didn't try to enforce it a whole lot. And then most of them retired not long after I graduated and because they didn't want to do it. But then at the same time, I have a lot of friends that I graduated with who are now teachers in the system. My mom was a preschool teacher up until I had to deal with the system and all of these changes over the years. And it, I wanted to talk about like, like some of those changes and how you've seen as a teacher, both coming up through the collegiate system and getting your degree and then also in practice like in schools and stuff I, I was i was going to be a teacher and i took two education classes 
And I dropped out of both of them <laughs> about three weeks in and decided I was done with it. Like, I wasn't going to do it. It was, Why? What it was, was not it? for me. Uh, I, what was it? One of them was a methods and something else. And then the other one, I can't remember what it was. The other one was Kentucky specific for some of the, like the guidelines yeah. and the practices. Why, why, and what was it that like, you were like, nah, I'm good. I didn't feel like what they wanted me to do as a teacher would actually benefit students in the learning process. Okay. Yes, Granted, yeah, I, yeah, I can totally see that. I can totally see that because I felt like that so much in so many of my classes. And I guess just my thought was just sort of like, all right, I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do to get there. But like when I get there, I'm going to do it different, you know, or I'm going to like play the game enough where I can do my own thing. And and I justified that for a long time. Right. Like I justified basically like turning my head and like accepting a lot of the BS from the system because I was like, I can carve out my own little space here. I can, you know, slowly, incrementally change things, work my way up, maybe, you know, have my own school one day, become a principal or something and, you know, like have my own space where I can create something within the system, you know having to deal with some BS, but also hopefully being able to change some of it. Um, and basically really, I saw that unravel over the last two years. Cause I was thinking to myself, like, how could I be a principal in the city and have them tell me, no, you're not allowed to open your school. Like I would just see myself down there, like opening my school and being like, kids come in and like, you know, like I, I, I really think I would have done that if I was a principal. Like, I mean, I was out there as a teacher. I was out on the street protesting, like, uh, you know, for these schools to open. I was online ranting and putting myself out there and getting, you know, so much pushback and canceled in all different types of ways. But, um, yeah, like definitely from when I believe we're about the same, like I'm, I'm 90, I'm 90s into the 2000s is when I was uh, going through the school system. And I definitely felt it change, like, from even when I was a kid, they started with some of these, like, programs where it's, like, everybody's learning together. And, like, we are all have our own, you know, and, like, well, you know, so-and-so is more capable than this person. So, like, that's why we're going to grade, you know, her harder and them easier. Like, some of this, like, equity kind of stuff, but it wasn't called equity yet. It was more just, like, kind of, like, piloting these really squishy, like, ideas that sound nice right like yeah we want everybody to have an opportunity and like everybody learns differently and like those things are true for sure but like that doesn't then lead to like trying to equalize everybody right that's not the way to go um and i think also there was a big technology change like when i was in high school we sat there and we took notes off off of overhead projectors you know what i mean and then by the time that i started teaching we now have laptops and computers and screens and touch boards and so like there was a big shift in technology but also when i was in high school like teachers would just be like security and they would just have security come get kids who that they you know that were causing problems but like by the time i'm a teacher like you can't do that anymore right like when i was a kid we didn't have ict classes we didn't you know like special ed was like if you're in special ed like you're in a special class you're you know away and everybody else is just together and like they have some leveled classes but like we're not doing this like ICT thing and some kids get special tutors and like all this stuff and like you know maybe some of it's good and some of it's bad but I think we're kind of going too far with these ideas to the point where it's like they're well-intentioned but 
guess what? Kids are doing worse and worse and worse every single year. So, um, have you seen some of the stuff that talks about uh, like the statistics? Uh, one of them that I was looking at specifically was in like Atlanta school systems, mm-hmm. where the vast majority of the students who are graduating uh, can't read. Yeah, I think they, on average they're graduating high school and they can't yeah. read. Like, period, they're illiterate, but they're yeah. they're pushing them through and graduating them. So they have like these insane re- oh, graduation rates, and they're they're touting how how great the schools are doing because they have these these great graduation rates. But none of the kids like who are graduating are employable. They they're not getting anything out of it. They they're right. just getting pushed through a system. I, I mean, I have been very pissed off about this for a number of years. My son should have been held back in sixth grade. He should have been mm-hmm. held back last year, and he should be held back this year. But his his mom and the school system keep pushing him forward, even though he shouldn't be pushed forward. Like, why are they so scared? Why is public education especially so yeah. scared to just let kids fail? Like, failure mm-hmm. is a good thing. Failure mm-hmm. is something that you learn from. You don't get anything by just moving on. I mean, I think some of it's well-intentioned, right? Like, you don't want your kid to get hurt, you know, but we've gone too far with it. I mean, things were far more dangerous when we were kids, just in terms of like statistics, when you talk about crime and kidnapping and, and even just like the rates of people like getting hurt and injured and stuff. And now it's way safer. And yet you're not allowed to do those things. Like you can't leave your kid. My, my mom used to leave us in the car all the time when she went to the store, you know what I mean? Like, or, um, we would be, we were not allowed to come inside. Like if it was a nice day, no, you're outside, you know, like I don't care, come back when it gets dark. Um, and just like things like that. It's just, it's like weird. It's not accepted. Like I let my son run around, you know, like at the park and I'll like go take a lap and like, people are like, Whoa, like you do that. I'm like, what do you mean? Like I've been coming to this park since I was a baby. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like, so it's just like, I, I gave him a knife he'll be fine <laughs> no no <laughs> definitely not definitely not but you know like, I just feel it's like you know like he can go for a lap around the circle at the park by himself like I think he's gonna be fine right that's probably good for him to like gain a little independence in a like reasonably isolated area where there's one way in and one way out so uh, yeah especially something like that like like here for us, I just kick the kids out and lock the doors and like go, like go roam the neighborhood. I don't care what you do. You know, <laughs> don't come back unless somebody's dying. <laughs> take take a couple hours and go be kids. Like and, yeah, yeah. Like, and I had I have friends who, <laughs> if I say that I did that, they're like, oh my god, you just let your kids? I'm like I didn't just let them. I made them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm saying it used to be it used to be definitely so different, like just hanging out with the kids in the neighborhood. I mean, we had some video games and stuff like I definitely played some video games, but it was nothing like this. It was like I played like NHL 3D hockey 1998. <laughs> that was my jam. Mm-hmm. I beat it a bunch of times. And uh, what was the other one on PlayStation 3? I used to like uh, Tony Hawk, those Tony Hawk games. I was nice at those. Uh, so kind of going back to how things used to be a little bit, um, 
and then versus like kind of how things are yeah something that has kind of upset me with with the way my kids schooling is done like my daughter is incredibly smart she has to keep doing the same stuff that all of the other kids are doing even though it's really below her Mm -hmm. um that's frustrating for me because like I was in a similar position when I was her age and in school and my teachers just kind of let me do my thing. I was allowed to kind of roam through the textbook and figure stuff out on my own. Uh, they have, now they have such, I don't, don't know have if I want to call it. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to call it like a rigid guideline for how they have to do things, but it seems that way. Like, yeah. There's a there's a very specific method structure to it, and they there there's no uh, there's no opportunity for figuring stuff out on your own. Is the way it kind of seems, so especially yeah. in, and not like especially you see it in and it's been something that's been criticized uh, a whole lot over the last several years. But like the Common Core math stuff, yeah, I, my kids would look at that and they hated doing math because it didn't make sense to them. And then if I taught them, or if I just shot to do it, they're like, oh, well, yeah, I get that. But then they would right. start working and, and they, would get, they would get failing grades because they weren't doing it the common core way. Mm. It's like, okay, like I understand that. And I understand that common core is not math. Common core is a methodology for how you go about finding answers to stuff. And if I think there are it's other interesting. Ways find answers. Right, right. I think it's interesting, you know, like I think that to like sometimes if somebody really is struggling and you kind of like um show them, like one of the things that I was having a hard time understanding is like, all right, like how can you have um it was something with fractions and decimals and how if you like flip them and multiply them, they're equal. I'm like, okay, like it works. But like, then I saw how it like drew out and I'm like, oh, I get it. Right. But I think in common core, they have you like do all this kind of like drawing stuff. And then they like want that to like elucidate the concept to you versus just being like, okay, this is how it is. And this is how it works. You learn how to do it. And then you like be like, okay, this is why it works. Um, I actually like Khan Academy. I don't know if you're familiar with Khan Academy. They, I think I like the way that they do it. I think it's a really good mix of like the traditional, like, just like you need to memorize some certain things. Here's some formulas. And then here's like a picture of why it works. So Yeah, they, I, I do like Khan Academy. They do, they do use the graphical examples and you get to see like, you get to see the examples and the uh, kind of the block, the block structure that a lot of the common core stuff mm-hmm. uses, but they do it in a, uh, reasonable in a sensible way that right. like that that shouldn't be applied uh you know flat line across the board for everything like there are problems that you can solve right. different ways easier ways it should be uh it should be adaptable to the different learning styles like like we yeah. like we talked about earlier like kids learn different ways like for me if you tell me something if i hear you say it mm-hmm. as soon as you walk away i forgot what you said Right. If you write it down and I read it, I'll remember it forever. So I'm going to tell you that like that's actually so like this whole idea of like learning styles is actually a little bit bunk. Right. Most people actually learn better from like visualizing things and like writing them down. 
but there just happen to be some people who are really good at like auditorily remembering things or like they're kind of like just outliers um or like you might have a preference like you might think that you like to like write things down better but actually like getting a visual of something like i mean not all things you can visual right but just like using um your visual imagery is actually the strongest way for anybody to remember things and learn things you have to have like multiple ways of encoding them um but like i think it's more about like different kids just enjoy different things right and like there are kids who are like better at some things than other things so i think there needs to be like a medium between that between like the idea of like learning styles because if you look at the research it's all pretty it's all bunk right but that's different than i think how we use it in common parlance so just a little and that is interesting that you talked about that because i've noticed that with like with my kids or uh like my stepson is 18 and he learned i can't remember what it was he just watched a bunch of youtube videos and learned how to do something uh, and i i can't i can't do that if you give me <clears throat> if you give me an instruction manual and I read through the manual, then I know how to do it. But I can't okay. sit and watch a bunch of YouTube videos. I get bored. I, like, I, I just can't. Okay. I don't but it's almost the same crap. thing, I feel like. It's right. almost like the same thing. It's almost, it's just like, it's a different medium, but it's actually the same way of learning something, I would say. Um, yeah, so it's just about what you enjoy, what you prefer. Yeah, I can see that. See, I'll like sit there I, when I'm like trying to do something with my car, I'll, like sit there with the video and like play it over and over again. I'm just like, okay, what'd they do at that point? <laughs> like, where's that? Like, I don't know. Sometimes reading the manuals is like really overwhelming. You like undo them. <laughs> like, uh. see, I guess that uh, I grew up building a lot of stuff with Legos. So I like to lay it out and okay. read it and look nice. at it. And Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. My son, I have my son do the uh, Legos. I love the Legos because you don't need to read to be able to do it. Um, and it's just like he can sit there and he can like build something by looking at the instructions like on his own. And I just, I love it. And see, like my kids, uh, I've tried to get my kids into Legos and they don't do well with that. Like if they watch a video of somebody doing it, then they pick it up that way. But if they're just okay. looking at it and trying to read the instructions for it, then it doesn't, doesn't click as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the different learning styles and stuff, and especially when we talk about like how much the schools try to cater to people and, uh, and create this like equity system where everybody's learning the same thing to, but they're, you know, kind of trying to tailor it to the fact that everybody has different needs. But then when it comes to teaching something like, you know, like Common Core, like all this other stuff. Uh, there's no, no flexibility. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so it counterintuitive. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of it just doesn't make any sense. Um, I think a lot of it is just also the root of it is is where we're getting trained is the colleges, right? Is the where the research is being done. So if you you have these professors who come up with an idea and the research standards really aren't high at all. If you're looking at a lot of this stuff and they get it published and then they want to make money off of it. So they build books and they write programs and they build curriculum. And, and it really is just like a whole money making system. And now there definitely have been different, like I would say political or 
whatever type of movements that have also injected into them. So whether that be um, like the critical race theory stuff, which I don't really like saying that term, but it definitely like has been kind of injected in up in the I'm talking at the college level. Right. Um, so because CRT is like a college level thing. So we're talking at the college level. It's being injected into how kid people are being talked taught and the research that's being done which if you look at what Kimberly Crenshaw says like that's what it's meant to do right so it's being injected at this upper level on on that end and then you also have like these big money people right you have the the Rothschilds and you have the um Rock, Rockefellers and you have um there's a couple other big ones in there and for a long time they've used the education and research center to like just like push their nonsense like pretty openly if you look at their white papers and if you read any of their history like a lot of this very like um like a lot of the medication the over medicalization stuff that comes from like the, that german tradition really well and like you can see it with uh especially like the the pushback against joe rogan like, did you see mm. how many of those uh, experts and and everything that they were calling for Joe Rogan to be removed from Spotify? How many of them were PhD students or right. master's well, students? Well, it becomes like, a gatekeeping thing. It's a gatekeeping thing, right? But if you're really like an academic, yeah, credentials matter, but only to the extent that they actually mean anything, right? Like if you're if you have these credentials, but your work isn't solid then what are you talking about? If you don't have those credentials and you're doing good work, then like, cool, you know, like it's just the over-credentialization and then the gatekeeping, like, oh, you don't have a doctor before your name. So you couldn't possibly have anything important to say. That's my, uh, my brother-in-law is he, he got his, <clears throat> he got his master's in uh, library studies or whatever. Like he wants to be a <laughs> professional librarian. Okay. Okay, no, Which, listen, you know, I'm, a, I'm a historian, so, like, I'm kind of nerdy like that, so I laugh, but also, like, hey. <laughs> but it's like, you know, cool, more power to you, but you can't be a librarian anywhere unless you have a master's or a doctorate, mm -hmm. and none of those jobs pay good. Like, they, you you have to have a master's to get a job that, make, that pays, like, 25, 30 grand a year. Like, uh, I could go work at Lowe's or Walmart and make more, than, more that than that without a master's <laughs> what right like it's just crazy the yeah the gatekeeping on on some of that stuff is insane and then it just uh, becomes and, like and i mean that's the u.s educational community as a whole mm. like that's if you don't if you don't have your master's if you don't have your doctorate if you don't have these certificates and these degrees and all this stuff is you're you're a lesser it's like you're a lesser person like my mom was a phenomenal teacher's aide for many many years and I would argue was a better teacher than a lot of the other teachers in her school, but she had to go back and get her degree and get her master's and do all of this stuff just to come back and do what she had been doing exactly. to begin with anyway. <laughs> right. It's like, again, I'm not arguing. Like I do think that there does need to be some type of credential system or accreditation system, but it needs to be, it can't be so inflexible that, I guess it, it comes back to the people, right? It comes back to what are we, the people, willing to accept and how much of our, our freedom to be able to choose 
to enter into like a contract with somebody, right? Consent with another human being to do something without those credentials. I guess then on top of it, you get the insurance thing, right? Well, if you don't have the credentials, then it's harder to get insurance for that person and they're a bigger liability. And like, so we just have like all this crap built on top of each other, the over-institutionalization that really just takes the power away more and more from us. Um, so I think, yeah, we have to create our own systems, right? It, it's like destruction and birth. Like as these systems become irrelevant and overburdened with all this crap, we're just like over here building, building, building. And then once those fall, whoop, then we get to take over. That's a, my non-violent, peaceful transition of power. See, that's, that is something that I want to see more of i want to see more like community schools instead of state-run public education centers i want to see more people mm. uh we have a really good one here it's a it's like a school group and they meet at baptist and they're all homeschooling but they're also all kind of learning together and it's almost like a school in and of itself except that they're not a school you know, and so like I want to see stuff like that. Like I, I want to see the unschooling of yeah. kids. I, I think I've, I think I've about halfway got uh, at least the girls convinced that homeschooling is the way to go. Uh, convinced getting my, getting my ex on board with letting me like homeschool my kids is where the, uh, the rub is. But like getting kids out of public education and teaching them things that are that are practical and applicable and letting them learn things that they want to learn. Like some of the, uh, yeah. I talked to Alex Hatch a few months ago uh, and her kids do the unschool thing uh, where they don't have a curriculum. They just kind of figure it out as they go. And uh, you know, if they want to learn how to read, then they learn how to read. And if they don't, then they don't. But you know, most kids at some right. point are going to want to learn yeah. how they're going to want to learn how to do this stuff. Yeah, I don't know if I'm that uh, liberal about it. I, I do. I like I so I I see myself as more like a hybrid. Like I like I like the classical like approach. Like I do think like, OK, like you need to sit down and like you need to learn to read. Like you need to sit down and we're going to learn to write like you're we're going to learn cursive. Like I believe in that. Like it doesn't need to be like in this really super compliance based like um punitive style although i do believe in punitive punishment too like you know it's like i'm just like super hybrid in my approach i'm not gonna sit there and make reading an undesirable activity where we're fighting about it but like we need to sit down and we need to read for 15 minutes a day and that's just non-negotiable like it's gonna it's gonna happen um so and then yeah i like like the classical curriculum but at the same time you, you only need to do so much of that today you don't need to be there for six hours studying all day. You know, you do, depending on the age, 30 minutes, an hour, you know, building up as they get older, you should probably be doing a few hours, but then you should be getting outside, right? You should be doing a project. You should be doing something hands-on where, you know, maybe you are intentionally trying to take some of that um, rote learning, classical learning you're doing and, and apply it, but maybe you're just doing something else that's, you know, out gardening or out going for a walk or a hike or doing some community service project or building something. I don't know. That's the thing that I remember most of my like elementary school and, and even like junior high and high school was not the time that we spent sitting in classes, but the time that we had 
outside at recess or in what we like in junior high and high school, we had uh, flex time where you got to go hang out in the gym or go sit outside or like whatever. Like, yes, the schooling side of things was important and we spent a lot of time in the classroom, but we also spent a lot of time just not doing those things, just like playing and having fun and, and interacting with each other and, and being kids. Uh, that's something that really pisses me off about about the, the school that my kids are in is it is so it is so rigid and it is so inflexible and they don't seem like they have the time to just go play and be kids. They're they get like 15 minutes after they get out of lunch where they have recess. Like uh, we had 15 minutes at like nine o'clock in the morning after our first class to go outside and play. And then we had another 30 minutes later on. And then at the yeah. end of the day, we had like a whole hour at the very end of the day to just like go out and run around and blow off steam and be kids. Like they get 15, 20 minutes after lunch. Like that's, that's not sufficient. You can't, you can't keep kids cooped up like that for six, seven hours a day and expect them to, to get anything out of it. And then they come home and they have, hours worth of homework that they have to do and all of this stuff. like it's just it's insane I'm, i don't i feel like i feel like we're making learning not fun for kids and if it's not fun if it's not something that's enjoyable yeah. they're not going to want to do it, it sure. i don't want to do it yeah, I, mean, I don't think everything needs to be fun too again like i'm like super hybrid like sometimes i'm like all right like you got to sit down and do this you know but it shouldn't be all day like it shouldn't be every single thing as a fight right it shouldn't they shouldn't dread everything about it but you know Sometimes you don't like to do things like my son. He's learning. He's like learning to read. He's like at the point where he's I'm reading. He's like doing like those phonics books where it's like Sam sits like Sam has a dog, you know, or whatever. Matt has a hat like these basic kind of things like where he's starting to blend his sounds together and reading them. And it's not like super easy for him. Like he knows all his sounds and he can say them, but it's not easy. Like, you know, it's a laborious task for him. So it's not something he enjoys doing Like versus like. I can get him to do things like math or like coloring or like, you know, other kind of like academic-y things like much more easily. But it's like, no, like we need to read every day. So that's definitely something that it's like, but at the same time, I'm not going to like yell and scream at him to the point where it's like traumatic. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh. Right. And that's, I guess that's kind of what I meant by, by fun. Not, not, not as yeah. much uh, fun from a like, yay type perspective yeah, 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 it's yeah. something that's yeah it's not it's not right. something that they're dreading it like right it may not it may be challenging and difficult mm -hmm. but it, it's it's at least rewarding and like they're they want to do it even if it's hard right like they and still they're still getting respect. something out of it Right. There's something about the respect aspect that I think is so important. Like the people who I often respect the most are kind of like the ones who are like they have their standards. Right. Like and they can be tough about it and they could be mean or like, you know, sometimes a lot of people didn't like them because they saw them in that way. But for me, I always respected those people kind of the most. And I feel like in order to like really learn something and appreciate something and also have fun at something like you need to respect. You need to have that element of respect, which I think that we're missing in society in general. Right. I mean, every generation always says, oh, these kids are less respectful than the last. But I think that there's definitely a level of respect that kids have lost for just like adults in general, like when they get in school, because they don't respect somebody who just like lets them like hand in things whenever just like, oh, like you'll get it next time, you know, like, no, hold some standards here. Like, I know, I don't know how many 
assignments my son has that are overdue and it's like and he can just turn them in whenever like um no you you should just that should just be a fail you should get an f on that and and you should be held back for the last two years (laughs) like let kids fail teach them that there are consequences for failure and there are also lessons to be learned from failure i mean that's you know Failure is a is a great teacher, and I think we uh, I think the the modern education system kind of tries to prevent kids from having to go through right. failure, and I think that's a, a huge disservice to development of children. You then you get this like whatever you want to call teen to twenty four year old class that we have that uh, that feel like they need to have be given everything like mm. not being given everything is some sort of a an assault on their freedom or some shit uh, yeah yeah no for sure for sure and but i do think again like i see it happening i see parents you know getting out to the school board meetings running for school boards people starting their own schools that's something that i'm looking into doing here is like creating a co-op and you know, figuring out how we can kind of really take control back of our kids' education systems. So, yeah, I, again, I try to look at a lot of these things that we could be really negative about and see the opportunity in here to take our liberties back, take our communities back, and and hopefully take this country back. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, Give all your plugs and everything, and we'll call it a wrap. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me, Justin. So, again, Stephanie Edmonds. You can find me on Twitter at TeachLiberty1. I'm over on Instagram at TeachingLiberty. Uh, you could catch me on YouTube at Teaching Liberty. And if you want to support me, check out, you know, kind of our, the community that I'm trying to build, TeachingLiberty.org. So we got a lot of stuff going on oh, on over there you can check out the merch and i got exclusive like members only content so it's teachingliberty.org awesome yeah thank you thank you very much for joining me again this was a lot of fun i always like talking about educational stuff especially with having a lot of friends and my my mom coming you know from being teachers and stuff uh i usually rub people the wrong way with a lot of my opinions like i want to see (laughs) teachers have the opportunities to to learn stuff yeah or to, to and look stuff with your new house and, and i want to see i want to see like uh what you what you got going on on the farm over there that'd be cool oh yeah once we get everything settled it'll uh there'll be plenty of pictures i'm sure awesome all right hi, hi justin have a good one thanks you too